Hello, everybody, and welcome to Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs, and I'm your host. ODAT is an acronym for one day at a time that I picked up in early sobriety and something that's stuck with me every day since. Hello, welcome for being on the next episode of Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm going to be your host today. Uh, just a reminder for everybody out there, please go ahead and leave a rating or a review or both. Actually, it helps for people that don't already know about the podcast and aren't aware of it. It'll pop up in whatever they're using to listen to their podcast as a suggestion in the health and wellness and recovery departments. And we'll pop up for those people to hear them. You never know which one of these stories can really resonate with someone, which can really connect with someone and potentially help save a life, help get somebody on the right path. Or somebody that might be struggling, it might just help keep a drink or a drug out of their hand today, get them motivated. I'm not sure which exactly one it might hit with the person, um, because I don't think any of us do know. But that's the whole point of finding these podcasts and hearing these stories is a lot of times it just clicks with somebody. With that being said, I did promise that I was going to start going ahead and reading these reviews on the podcast. So that way we can get some shout outs going. And so you can hear what some of these people are saying. So with that being said. Uh, this is actually going to be the first one I'm reading out loud, starting with the oldest and first review I ever got. This one was from nine months ago. It's from Leisha24. I love how Miguel blends this podcast with stories of people's path to sobriety with their fitness endeavors. Most sobriety podcasts only focus on the recovery slash sobriety story, but this podcast focuses on each individual's journey into fitness, whether it's running, lifting, or being an American Ninja Warrior. Highly recommend. Even if you're not in recovery, you'll love this podcast. Thank you so much, Leisha, for leaving that review. That also came with five stars. So very much appreciate you. So as we keep going, we'll get these read on the air and we'll get some more shout outs going. And so, yeah, so if you want to hear your name or if you just want to help us out with the cause, go ahead and get that done for us. Uh, the easiest way, the best way to do it is on Apple Podcast, or you can do that on Podchaser. So help us out. We definitely appreciate you. Now that we got that out of the way, I want to go ahead and bring on our guest today. This is going to be Ron. Ron is someone that I had the chance of actually just seeing his uh, his handsome mug for the first time on Zoom right now. <laughs> Haven't had a chance to meet him in person. He doesn't live too far away from me. This is another connection that happened through uh, our new good friend, Michael, who has been nothing but supportive and super awesome since day one of connecting with him through a good friend of mine. He has linked me with his brother, now Ron, and I believe there's another friend in the works that we're going to be getting scheduled for an interview as well. So he's he's almost uh, unofficially on the payroll with Staying Fit Odette podcast, just keep sending interviews my way, and I love it. But, you know, he also, fortunately for him, he knows great people in recovery that are dedicated to fitness as well with a lot of great stories. So anybody that Michael sends my way – it, there's really no vetting needed. I just trust them and we get it rocked. So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and uh, hear Ron's story. I don't know too much about it. I really don't know anything about it at all other than the few notes that he left on the Calendly invite. So with that being said, uh, Ron, how are we doing this morning? Great. Fantastic. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, I think uh, what you do is very important. Uh, it's very important to get the message out and, uh, and, uh, give back what was given to you freely. And, uh, and so I feel really honored to be on here with you. I really do. I really appreciate that. They tell us that we only get the people we give. 
Uh, that's it. We only get, we only keep what we give, and that's it. And I like to give. Uh, I like to share my story for whoever is uh, open to listen to it. I do it quite often throughout my life, and my wife shares my story too, um, because she's a big part of it, and uh, it's very important for other people to hear about recovery, especially like you know, like I know, I, I believe you're in the twelve step program. Um, I don't follow a specific. 12-step program per se. I don't go to meetings, but I read the um, just for today every day and uh, read a lot of the, uh, um, uh, the, instead of the big book, the NA has their own book. And, uh, you know, I'll check once in a while with that, once in a great while, but daily I read uh, just for today. And I also post uh, scriptures online that pertain to something that, that uh, the subject of just for today. Um, and, and that actually helps keep me going daily. And it's a, uh, it's how I, I meld my religion and my beliefs with the program itself and how it's webbed together. Um, awesome. If that's clear enough for you. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, we'll definitely get more into that as well in your recovery and the things that you're doing and, uh, everything that helps you out with that. But before we get that far, why don't we go ahead and start back from the beginning? I know you had your first experience with a drink or a drug around 10 or 11 years old. So in as much detail as you want to go into, why don't you go ahead and kind of summarize the first 10 or 11 years of your life up until that point? All right. I, I, oh, uh, sorry. Also uh, where you're from, what you do for a living, if you want to share that information, I don't know if we sure, caught that I'm, from you in the beginning. Sure. I'm from uh, Franklin township in New Jersey. That's uh, in Hunterdon County. There's, there's about 30 Franklin townships in New Jersey. <laughs> But I'm in a one from Hunter and County. Uh, so, yes, I'm closer to you than any of the other Franklins, I think. Um, I work construction. I've been in the union for about 35 years. Um, I work uh, right now. The company I've been with is probably about I've been with them about just about 10 years, like right before my sobriety date. I started with them. Um, nice. So. Uh, it's been a great run. I really like where I work. I, we work for. Uh, the a utility company electrical company so i'm always working in the yard so that's what that's basically what i do i'm a foreman of a four-man crew um and i really like it uh i uh i like what i do that's All awesome. right so getting to uh my early years well i i'm half korean and half white so that's a big part of uh of my story because all my life I struggled with uh, being biracial, especially in the 70s. I mean, it wasn't that acceptable. Um, I got made fun of. Uh, I grew up in a predominantly Italian neighborhood and my school was predominantly white. So it was a difficult time growing up. I never fit in. And um, my Korean family, because I was white, half white, I wasn't, I never felt fully accepted by them either. So there was no place to really vent my anger, my, my sadness, or any kind of that. I had, I had no place to turn. So I was like, I felt always all my life alone in this journey of life. Um, my mother was really very verbally abusive physical 
every now and then I get some good beatings, old school uh, wooden spoons. I mean, one time I got a rolling pin, but her boyfriend at the time saved me from the rolling pin. So I'm thankful for that. But um, <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was a tough childhood, I guess, mentally more than anything, because I, I, I like when I talk about the childhood abuse from my mother, I the verbal abuse was the worst. I think, I mean, for me anyway, the beatings, they heal, but the words that are said um, stick in the mind, you know, the unworthiness, the, you know, not good enough. And, and just, and I, she used to say, you know, like I, I was fat, I was fat ass, like my father, cause I was always struggling with being overweight and not really physically fit nor very athletic either. So any athleticism in the future, I had to really work for it <laughs> in order to get uh, halfway decent at it, I guess. Well, it only um, makes it that much sweeter then. Yeah, it, it does. You got to work. You got to work. I mean, it's uh, like anything in life. You got to work for it. Um, I, uh, I struggle. And, and so my mother and father were divorced uh, at an early age when, when I was young, probably around one and a half. Um, so I was back and forth. I had visitation with my father on, um, on the weekends and my father lived with my grandmother. So they, um, they were a big part of my life also. See, they were not as, they weren't abusive in that aspect, but they never really let me embrace my Asian side. They're always saying, you're American, you know, you're born in America. So I basically they trained me up to be white, but then when you're, you know, then you're dealing with uh, the real world and you realize you're not white and you're Asian to the white side or uh, the white folks in, the, um, in your, uh, in your life. So I never really felt like I was grounded in any identity myself. I had no identity. And so I struggled for the early part of my life <laughs> even up until my sobriety with, uh, an identity crisis. Um, so I guess we could go on to the first time I, I had a drink. It was kind of by accident. I went on vacation with my grandmother, um, uh, my father's mother, um, to Hawaii when I think I was in fifth grade. So is and that your, is that your Korean side? If you said no, this already, my, I, I missed my wife, the white side. So your mom is Korean. My mom is Korean, correct. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> so I went to Hawaii and I guess at one of the luau's or something, they were giving away uh, uh, virgin drinks. It was a Mai Tai and uh, they were letting the children drink the Mai Tais. And they said, well, you know, if you have this one, the next ones are going to be alcoholic. So um, <clears throat> after I had the first one, and then uh, my grandmother had one. I went back and I grabbed another one. And that was the one with the alcohol in it. So I. And you knew what I, you were uh, doing? You know, thinking back now, and this is just right now, I don't know. I mean, I knew there was alcohol in it, but I didn't really, you know, I didn't really experience alcohol. Yeah. I mean, that point. of course, we definitely don't comprehend how we're going to feel or, yeah. or understand, but you went in knowing there's alcohol, like, almost like curiosity. 
yeah, I didn't give a shit. Absolutely. I just like, yeah, let me just take this. And they're like, yeah, you know, if you have another Mai Tai, you're going to have a high tie. Too many Mai Tais, you'll have a high tie. So uh, I didn't know anything about addiction or anything like that. So I was just, I guess, curiosity. So I, I grabbed one. I had it. Um, I don't remember necessarily if I had a buzz, but that kind of set the preface for the next couple years. Um, when I got back, I was like uh, my father and grandmother's bartender. I used to make uh, drinks for them on the weekend. And I got like kind of into bartending when I was a young kid with uh, recipe books and, and mix. I, I became like a little mixologist, which is I, I look back at that time. I was like, oh, it's whatever it is, what it is, because that's my life. But I. Uh, I look back and I was thinking, this is pretty fucked up shit. You know, your parents are fucking making, like they weren't like my grandmother was not a drinker, but my father, I, I look at him and he, I would say, I would say he had little bouts of alcoholism. You know, I wouldn't, I, I he kept the shit together. He wasn't a, he was like a, a weekend drinker, but he would, I, I never, I maybe saw him drunk twice in my life. Okay. So it wasn't like it was something that I felt was uh, a problem with him. You know, I, I think the behaviors were there, like that, the addictive behaviors and the, and the beliefs and, and like, you know, the personalities in, in the program or, or oh, how, you know, just, just because if you don't drink doesn't mean you're not an alcoholic or, a, or an addict. You just, you have the behaviors, you just don't have the, the drugs involved. So I think- He was that, showing you know, all the isms. Yes, basically. Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, he wasn't a very con confrontational person. So um, he just went with the flow. He's mellow. But then again, he didn't step up all the time where uh, you would want to support your kid in certain aspects of my life. But and early on, when I went to rehabs, or I went to a couple times, uh, he was very supportive of that. So I would just I would say that, you know, he was supportive in certain ways and, and certain ways, just like I, I guess any parent would be, for sure. you know? So, um, so yeah, I, for a couple of years, I remember doing that. And then I remember fading out of that, not really being involved with drinking so much. I, I don't know how many years that was, but, you know, as a kid, it might've been just one year, but it felt like I was a mixologist for quite a while. <laughs> um, but I guess, um, I guess my first taste and realizing what I was doing was probably like soft, uh, junior year in high school. Um, I don't know if I started drinking. I think I started smoking pot first. My buddy, I knew he smoked pot and then I was curious and, you know, and, and at that time people were also talking about how, you know, stay away from drugs and all that. And, I, and I guess this self-destructive part of me is like, well, let me try this. Let me try this stuff. And uh, I was scared. I was scared to try pot because I thought, you know, I'd go off the deep end and uh, didn't realize it wasn't that serious. But in a way, it was serious because it did send it was a start of uh, going off the deep end. So I smoked pot. Um, I remember it was uh, in uh, honors chemistry. Right before honors chemistry, I smoked a joint with my buddy and I walked and I couldn't stop laughing. I could not stop laughing. So I was like, I, I, I kind of like this. I kind of like this feeling, 
you know, because laughing, laughing, laughing. All my life I felt um, not that happy. And uh, so this is this is something that made me laugh. Um, and I guess through my high school career, uh, I started drinking alcohol. I didn't really like it that much because I, I, I didn't really like the taste, especially after smoking pot. I realized that was that was easier. It was uh, you didn't really get the hangovers or throwing up or sick. Um, so I started dabbling in that. I remember um, one of the first, I guess, senior year. Um, yeah, it was senior year uh, dances. I got wrecked before I even went to the dance and I got caught throwing up in the bathroom and I was uh, expelled from school for like three days. Uh, suspended from school for three days and that was the the first major alcoholic uh i guess uh i can't even think of the word it's early in the morning i don't know why i made it this early but <laughs> where you're uh how did your parents react to that how did the family respond oh they actually had to pick me up um i think it was on a weekend so my father had me so i think he picked me up or i might have called my father because i knew my mom would have raged on me and so i called my father um he was a little disappointed um but uh i guess he chalked it up to you know kids being kids and it was bound to happen one way or uh one time or another and this was the time so i mean you're probably uh, what, like 17 years old yes i was uh yeah 17 yeah, I was about 17. Yes. Yes. And, uh, you know, I was in, I was, I was in sports at the time. So, um, you know, I was in soccer in the fall and then I, I joined, I was in wrestling later. Um, so I actually that year quit soccer. I think right after that, I don't know if that had to do anything with it, but I never felt, um, I never felt so uh, as uh, so I never really embraced soccer okay. at the time. I think I, you know, and I think that was brought up with the soccer meeting and I mean, uh, with my soccer coach and how look at look where he's turning out that got back to me with, you know, with drinking and partying. Um, so uh, where does it go for you? Like after your high school years then? So after high school, I started, um, my mom was pushing me to go to college. I didn't want to go to college because I was kind of in the party. And I actually, in, in high school, too, started dabbling in a little bit of Coke. Oh, wow. um, and then after, after that, I started working because um, I didn't want to go to college. So I took off. I, I didn't go to college for a year. I said to my mom, let me, let me work um, for a year. My father got me into the union, the labor union. And uh, at the time, in the summertime after high school, so I worked there. And at that time, this company I worked for, the paychecks at the end of the week were cash. So I started from there. I started going to the city with the cash. I didn't have to go to the bank. So I had a pocket full of cash. So like Fridays after payday, I started going, uh, going to the city and copping Coke and hanging out with the wrong crowds. Um, now, was this something that was like really popular when you were in high school and coming out of high school? Was there, was there like a lot of your friends that were doing, 
a lot of the same stuff or did you kind of have to go and find your own crowd to find people that were doing these kind of things? Like what really, what attracted you to, to something like Coke at such a young age? Well, I think, well, in high school, a lot of, a couple of my friends dabbled in it, but they really dabbled in it. They really didn't get uh, the ones that I hung out with and they, they really fell along the wayside, but yeah, I had to find, I had to find my own crowd. I had to find a crowd that really wanted to party hard. Um, and I think uh, looking back on it, I could not, I could not, I think it was a childhood pain and trauma and not fitting in and having this identity crisis that I really tried to cover up everything. And I couldn't get high enough. I couldn't get high enough to get rid of the pain. I remember partying sometimes and I like, I just, I just want to get high enough to forget all my pain that was inside that I didn't know what it was. I just knew I was just not, I was, I was hurting. I was hurting really bad. So yeah, I had to find my own crowd. Uh, I found, boy, did I find a crowd. Uh, they dabble in everything. I mean, and I really partied hard only for, I would say maybe two years, three years. It felt like a, it felt like a lifetime and I dabbled in everything. I eat Coke. Um, I started, I loved LSD. I used to go into the city and Central Park and cop LSD, sell LSD so I could have a bunch for my head. Um, and, uh, and then my other friends started getting into heroin and that kind of scared me. So I'd say in, in that time, in that time, I maybe did heroin maybe a dozen times, maybe to around that time I, I shot it up, I think, uh, three or four times, maybe five times. And you were still um, a teenager. You were still what nineteen? I was. I, I, this is after high school. This is like okay. 19, 20 years old. Wow. So you're um, already you're already using IV drugs before you're yes. even, before you're even old enough to go into a bar. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Wow. And uh, and then I kind of drifted away from that because a lot of the friends around me were overdosing. I mean, not to the point of death. I didn't really. I, I never experienced that part of it. I'm thankful for. I mean, you hear all the stories of people, you know, but nobody I really hung out with. Does anyone in your but, family know you're doing any of this? Um, I think my parents, my parents had an inkling. Um, my mother didn't, but my father and grandmother did because I, only because I would get a cash paycheck on Friday and by Saturday or Sunday I'd be asking to borrow money. Wow. Um, I, I was thankful I never stole from them. And I don't, I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. It's like just one more thing I don't have to freaking apologize for. Yeah, especially but, if you're if you're living at home. I mean, unless you're coming yeah. home, unless you're coming home with like brand new clothing or like a new car or something, it's really hard to explain how you're how you live at home and you're broke the day after you get paid. Oh, like, absolutely. Drugs are usually the only answer there. Yeah, yeah, it is. Or a gambling problem, I guess, but some type of addiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something. Absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I don't know why they didn't really confront me. It might have been like, uh, I don't want to hear the it. truth. Denial. Denial, I guess. And, you know, not my kids. So they didn't really say nothing. They'd just be like, what'd you do with your money? Oh, I, I, to this day, I don't even know what the hell I explained to them. Why, why I was out of money. But I mean, I can't really speak for your parents here, but, um, 
I can speak for myself as being a parent now and, you know, someone who's in recovery himself. Like, I think if, if, if our parents aren't in recovery, they don't truly understand addiction, then it's something it it's either they don't really understand. They don't see the signs or it's not something that they want to admit. And it's not something that they want to confront. Cause it's like one of those things, like when you know your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife is cheating on you. And like, you're almost like too happy in the relationship or too scared to ask because you don't want to know the truth. It's so I think it's like one of those things where it's like, as long as you don't ask, then you don't have to find out the truth. Um, as opposed to like, maybe someone in recovery, like, you know, knock on wood, I hope this is something we never have to deal with. But like you or I, if we see our kids showing those signs, it might be something like shit, we know what we did, we know what we where our past is. So let's kind of confront this. Because if that's the case, you know, it sucks, we don't want that to be our children. But at least we can try and get in front of it or start approaching it and confronting it as early as possible. So that way, they they don't have to go through it as long as we did and, and suffer as much as we didn't and explain what we're about. So I mean, I can't speak for your parents, but I can only imagine the fear or the maybe just genuine not understanding or not really even believing it's possible to come from their children if that's not something that they dealt with themselves from their parents or even close family members or friends. Yeah, I, I would lend to, yeah, I would, you pretty much summed it up. I, I would think that would be it. And, you know, I know my parents and yeah, that sounds like you got it. You got it there. Um, that would be that would be the key because they, you know, and I think as, as humans, we don't, we don't want to confront stuff or we don't want to believe it because then you have to do the work or you have to, you have to deal with emotions and all that other stuff. And we, we like to stuff a lot, you know, especially addicts. We like to stuff it or hide it behind. Uh, and we can be really good at it too. We can be yeah. really, really good at it. Absolutely. We're great manipulators. Uh, it's crazy how often addicts make good salesmen uh, be, or, or hard workers in general, because we're usually selling ourselves as normal or clean and sober. And we usually have to bust our ass to support our habits at work. So it's, yeah. it's crazy how often we're like really good at those two things. Yes, it's true. It's true. I'm a great schmoozer, you know, cause I work with, you know, because being a foreman, what I do, I, I have to deal with a lot of superintendents and I, and I could, I'm a good schmoozer. I'm a good salesman. I could sell my work and, and, and my crew's work and, you know, we're good at what we do, but I could really sell it, and, you know, and make it look even better. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that one. <laughs> um, so you're coming home broke, trying to borrow money pretty much right every the weekend that you're getting paid already, already broke, going into the city, grabbing yep. drugs. You're now finding IV drugs at this point, and you're not even 21 years old. Are you ever thinking to yourself, has it ever even crossed your mind like shit? I have a problem or are you still at this point, are you still completely naive and to yourself and not believing that that's even, that's not the case? Oh, no, no, I, I, um, that's, it's a good point. I, and I think it was, I was like 19, 19 and a half. I knew I had a problem because we, I started that because with the heroin use, I started dabbling in there. You see, and when I would leave, I would leave home and not come back for two, three days, got a license. Once I got a license, that was it. I, I was like, my mom sheltered me. And it was like the worst thing in the world because she would shelter me and, and try to be overprotective, but then she was very abusive too. So once I got my license, that was like, forget about it. I, I went all over the place. 
practice and I wouldn't come home for days. And this is, after, I mean, after high school, not during high school. Um, and at 19, I remember hanging out with this one guy all the time uh, at his apartment because it's a drug den. And uh, we used to do a lot of heroin or, you know, they do a lot of heroin and I'd be with them. Um, and I just, I got sick and tired of living that way. And I, um, I went to my best friend who, who, who turned me on the pot and, uh, asked for help. And he ended up one night taking me to the, um, to rehab. So that was my first bout at rehab around 19 and a half, maybe I would say, yeah, I would say around 19 and a half. Wow. So you are ready because for a lot of people who are in active addiction, a lot of times, especially at such a young age, they, they stick with the whole mentality. Like I have a good job. I have money. I'm not homeless. I'm not this. I'm not that they focus on everything that they're not and not what they are. And so a lot of times I think, especially for young people, more than anything, they really deny the fact in their head. And it's not only just saying, Froze. you know, I'm not there. It's, <laughs> it's not only just saying like, I'm not an addict. I don't have a problem, but I genuinely believe. And, and I speak this from experience as well for a long time, for a good period of that, we genuinely believe that we don't have a problem because we sit there and we negotiate with ourselves and we bargain with ourselves and we, we, we go through this checkbox and, and this little list of all the things that we do have. So how could we possibly be an alcoholic? How could we possibly be an addict? We start comparing ourselves to people that we think do actually have problems. And we say, nope, well, as long as we're not that bad, we don't have a problem. So I find it very, I don't want to say crazy, but it, it, you're, you're almost an, an anomaly by the fact that you admitted it to yourself and you actually seek help your yourself. Cause usually when a 19 or a 20 year old goes out and is approaching rehab or something like that, it's because their parents found out or someone in their family or someone close and they're pretty, they're pretty much being forced to do it. It's not often do we get one of these stories that someone before the age of 21 is actually already themselves sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so I think that that already it's, it's, I don't want to say unbelievable, but it's, it's, it's almost a blessing that you already realized that yourself. And I know from your sobriety date that this is going to continue being a problem for a long time still at this point, Yeah. but you already, at least in your heart somewhere, there was already at least the desire to get clean and sober, which a lot of people don't even pick up that desire till way later in life until unfortunately, a lot of times for those people, they lost everything. Uh, so yeah. I just wanted to point that out before we get into your, your story of, of approaching rehab for the first time, there's a lot of things different about your story already that I'm picking up. Um, and it's, it makes this a very, very unique story as, as a lot of people's recovery stories are, they're very unique, but this one is very interesting to me at hearing this story for the first time, just picking up on some of those things already. Yeah. Um, I think. I think now, and, and it's great. I, I love this shoot from the hip style because um, it's bringing back. And, and I think, you know, you know what really made me uh, sick and tired is, um, you know, and I'm not minimizing alcohol, but alcohol is legal. I mean, if you're drinking underage, it's illegal. But, you know, we tend to think like, yeah, whatever. It's 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 a legal drug at the time. And but I think the reason why one a lot of the reason why it was, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I mean, we used to rob drug dealers. We used to go out to the street dealers out in Plainfield. Um, 
ask them for like 10 vials of crack. I mean, I started getting into everything at that time. So we, I, whatever drug would make me high and forget stuff I would do. I was basically a garbage can. So we would go out to the, we would go out there we had no money. We'd go out and rob the, the drug dealers in uh, Plainfield and stuff, which, you know, thinking back, it get, you know, get shot. Um, Did you I ever find my- yourself on any, uh, any close calls where it's like shit, like you could have, you could have easily been killed. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We had one. I never had a weapon that I said that, that I could remember pulled on me or saw, but I remember one time pulling away. Um, oh no. What happened was we pulled up to buy some stuff. My buddy was sitting in the passenger seat and all of a sudden I heard this smash. Somebody threw a bottle and a smash in his face. And then they threw a brick through the back, back of my window. Um, so had that. Um, and it was like, I went to rehab and we can go back to this, but did like two days after rehab, I, I met up with the same buddy that I used to hang run with all the time and uh, went, went also to pl- uh, cop some pot. And um, I got jumped by five guys and beat up on the street. And he pulled around a corner. He pulled around a corner. I was getting my ass whooped. And then he pulled back when he saw it. I ran to the car and took off. So I would say that's the closest call. Were you getting jumped because of a a previous situation with drugs or was this just happened to just kind of karma catching you for all the shit? It could have been, I think at the time there was some, uh, some racial issues, um, which, you know, happened all the time, but I think there was something in the news that there might've been uh, um, something along that. And I was just like, to uh the black folk in the neighborhood i was a white kid and and you know we need to kick his ass so it might have been that <clears throat> more than me um being recognized that's my just my personal opinion but i could have been recognized also so maybe it's a little bit of both ass. yeah could have been a little bit of both i got my ass whooped by five guys and it's not a good feeling <laughs> ouch <clears throat> yeah so um so then i you know after so I went to rehab and, and as I said, like two days after rehab, I was already back in, in the shit. It really didn't resonate with me. Um, and that was a 12 step program um, with alcohol and drugs. And it, you know, I listened to a little bit, but I, you know, I, I thought I could smoke pot because, you know, I was deep into heroin and all the other hardcore drugs. So I was like, ah, pot's all right. So that just set me off. I didn't really. So basically, I wasted three, uh, uh, four weeks in in rehab. So it didn't really resonate with me. So I guess uh, I partied on for about another year, and again, I I, I couldn't take it. I I, I remember it was a, a night of doing uh, LSD, and I got again, I got sick and tired of where I was where I was at in my life, and. Uh, I decided to join the Marine Corps. I said, I got to get, you know, people, places and things. I got to get the fuck out of here. Wow. <laughs> so, so that's what I did. I joined the Marine Corps at 20 years old. Um, and right before that, probably a, a two months before that, I drank really heavy. I, uh, I was hanging out with my buddy. We were at a, uh, at a pool hall arcade and I, I got wrecked before I even got in this place. Um, I couldn't even stay there anymore. I was so drunk. 
and I decided to go drive home. So I drove, I, me and him went to take off and I was so drunk. I couldn't drive. He didn't even have a license. Are you on base? Um, no, this is before the Marine Corps. I'm sorry. Okay. So this is, this is prefacing the Marine Corps thing. Okay. So I, um, I got, I got wrecked. I pulled over the side of the road and, uh, and then I woke up in a holding cell in jail. I, and I look at him, I'm like, what the fuck happened? And uh, he says, yeah, you, you know, you pulled over. I took the keys out of ignition, put it up. You were asleep. And the cops came over, arrested us. Um, one cop wanted to let us go because we were doing the right thing by sleeping it off and not driving. And uh, so that was my first arrest for alcohol. Did and they just like hit you with a public drunkenness or did you get a DUI? I got, I got uh, disorderly persons, I think. Um because I went the fuck off when I was in jail. I was fucking handcuffed to the wall, never experienced this. And, you know, coming up at, coming out of a blackout and you wake up in a cell. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? My buddy explained what happened. I kicked the fucking garbage can. I started raging in the holding cell. And then the cops called my mother, come to pick me up. And as they're pulling, her and my buddy are pulling me out of the police station and I'm fucking raging. I'm going off. I'll fucking drive around. I'll kill people next time. I did the right thing. You know, oh, wow. we're pulling over. So a week before I joined, the, a week before I was shipped off to the Marine Corps, I went to court and lost my license for three, for um, for a month. The judge was, go he's like, oh, you're going to the Marine Corps? Uh, you won't need a license at boot camp anyway, so I'll take it away for a month. So that's, that's what happened. That was the first and only arrest that I had, which I was lucky for. God, how many times I could have been arrested for uh, anything drugs or alcohol related. Well, that was the only arrest I ever had. Wow. So, definitely get so, fortunate there. Yeah, I, definitely, definitely. And so then I went to the Marine Corps. So what and, happens in the Marines? All right. So in the Marine Corps, I uh, go through boot camp. I come back because they give you a month leave after boot camp. I came back and I dove right in with my buddies, smoking, uh, smoking crack, drinking. Uh, I laid off the pot because that's in your system too long. I already knew that that was in your system for a month or so. So I could drink, I could smoke crack, do heroin. That's only in your system a couple, a couple uh, uh, days. Um, but in that time. I think uh, somebody, we didn't have heroin. We had some Coke. Somebody shot me up with some Coke and I almost overdosed. It felt like my head was going to explode. I almost passed out. And that was the last time I ever did an intravenous drug. It scared me so bad. I, I was done. So that was during my leave from boot camp. So then fast forward, I get out to the fleet. That's the Marines call when you're back on base um stationed in schools in uh in uh california going to schooling and uh started drinking because that's legal um i was 21 in the marine corps at that time the drinking age most states were 20 or 21 but you're on base as uh um uh a 21 year old i could drink but i couldn't bring it back to the barracks even the younger folks that were 18, as long as they're drinking beers, they could have beers at the, um, at the bars on base. 
Um, so I started drinking. I started bringing booze into my uh, barracks. Um, and then, uh, then after, after school, I was shipped over to Okinawa and I started drinking like crazy. I, I would, I would get paid. You get paid every two weeks. Again, I would drink and within three or four days I was drunk. I mean, I was broke and then I was looking to borrow money to drink again. So, um, I was in that mode for probably over a year. And then, um, I met this woman over there who became my first wife. Um, she was a Christian. So she brought me to church. I started Japanese woman, or did you meet an American Japanese, over there? Jap Japanese woman. Um, and I started going to church. So then I started, uh, weaning myself off of alcohol, not really knowing the mentality behind addiction, but just doing the thing you're supposed to do as a newborn Christian. It's just like, yeah, stop drinking, live right, all that. Um, but, uh, then, but I would, I, uh, oh, and I go back during that time I was stationed in Japan. I was writing back to my buddy and, uh, one of the other Marines moms trying to get some drugs, trying to get LSD. And I got some LSD shipped to me overseas. Um, and we were in operation in Korea and I got a letter with some, with some, uh, blotters in it, paper LSD and me and a bunch of guys took it and we we're over there partying and, um, somebody ratted us out and, uh, then I got a uh, NCIS started investigating, not like the show, but that is a real thing. The Naval Investigative Services, they came, they were investigating me for drug use. I did the right thing and uh, admitted it and actually gave them a little background of me being an addict. And uh, that started the process of me um, being uh, discharged from Marine Corps, um, not a dishonorable, not a, a bad conduct, but a general under other than honorable discharge. So I spent about two and a half years in the Marine Corps before I was um, discharged and it wasn't honorably. So that was another strike on my, uh, on my uh, feelings of self-worth. Um, I, going back, I was like kind of groomed to go in the military, you know, some of my family members are in the military. So the Marine Corps was the toughest. So that's why I wanted to join it. Uh, and I fucked something else in my life up. So that was well, another something hard to deal with. Well, it is very unfortunate that the, uh, the discharge happened. But regardless, I definitely want to take a second to thank you for your service, for your okay. attempts, because, you know, it from hearing your story, it doesn't sound like and i thought this was kind of where it was going for a second like when you said you were in them you were joining the marines and then you kind of backed up to that whole drunk story uh prior i kind of thought that you were that was going to lead to one of those things where like the judge says you can either go to jail or join the military and and you were going to go there and like didn't want to be there um, yeah. but after getting to hear the rest of it it sounds like you're already going there so regardless of anything else you had going on in your life, regardless of your addiction, it sounds like the intentions were genuinely pure. You wanted to go serve. You had the right intentions. Again, just unfortunately struggling with the addiction that 
yep. you know, takes us down and it, it takes people away from some of the best jobs, some of the most lucrative jobs, some of their best passions. I mean, you know, addiction doesn't give a shit what your goals are, what you look like, what you're trying to do it. You know, once it got you, it is strong as fuck and it will continue trying yes. to break you down. I mean, it's, we, we see it with athletes. We see it with people that, you know, lawyers, doctors. So it, it'll take anybody down. So definitely regardless, I want to genuinely and uh, thank you for, for your service, the time that you had for your attempt, because it definitely sounds like it was, it was pure intentions from the heart and, and you were, you had all the right intentions going in. It just, it didn't work out. So yes. thank you for that regardless. And so now moving forward, what do you do? What are you doing after this discharge? Because um, now so you're probably what, like 22, 23. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's about 20, 22, 23. Yeah, around there. Um, <clears throat> my uh, going back, but like just going back real quickly, where my mentality was at the time when I joined was I, I wanted an MOS, which is a job. Um, I wanted to be a dog handler, I wanted to be an MP figure, go figure. A drug addict wants to be an MP, all right? But <laughs> <laughs> military police. Uh, but I liked animals. I wanted to be a dog handler. Um, I couldn't get that. So I wanted to find the most dangerous job there was. So I, I joined and with the, with the knowledge of becoming a radio operator, because in a combat situation, the radio operator's uh, lifespan is about three seconds. So that's where my mentality was. I, at the time I joined, I really wasn't happy with life. And it was like, like uh, suicide by war, I guess. That's okay. what I was working for. So that, all right. So that's where my mental state was. But then I found religion and I kind of like felt a little better. But so after the Marine Corps, I, um, I'm still dating this Japanese woman. So we decide she quits college and she flies over on a, on a, uh, a visa and we get married. So she stays. So that's my first wife. Um, and that marriage was a rocky one because I'd had bouts of uh, alcoholism. I remember, and you'll understand this too, like the cross addiction, I became a, a runner. So I was a runner too, like you are. Um, and nice. uh, I was running five to six days a week. I'd run three to eight miles a day. I mean, I was addicted. And then at that time I'm like losing weight, um, not drinking, not drinking much feeling good about myself. And then I don't know, in, in that those years are kind of blurry, you know, so you'd have, you know, bouts of perceived sobriety. Mentally, I wasn't sober, but, you know, I wasn't drinking, I wasn't using. So in that time, I didn't do that many drugs. Once in a while, somebody give me, you know, Coke, I'll do it. But it was mainly alcohol then after the Marine Corps. Um, so that went on for years. Um, we didn't have any kids till is your wife at the time. Is she, what, what are her thoughts on this? Is she saying, Ron, you got to cut this shit out. Is she just kind of trying to stick by your side? You know, looking at her, her father was a raging alcoholic, but she didn't like me drinking, but it would be, it wasn't, it wasn't a daily thing. You know, it was only, only once in a while on the weekends, but I would get wrecked. So um, I justified the times that I drank and I was like come on I just do it once in a while but I know she didn't like it but she didn't really force any anything upon me you know like she there didn't was really... never an ultimatum no there was never an ultimate ultimatum there no not at all 
Um, and so um, in that time, I think it was, uh, let's say around two, uh, about 1999, I started going to college. I started in years before 1999, I started going back to school, wanting to get a degree. I didn't know what I was going to go for. So I just started going to college and um, I took an art course and I was always good at art. And I was like, damn, I'm not even in for art for an art major and I'm like one of the best artists in a class. I think that's what I'll do. So I started taking art courses uh, at uh, the community college and um, I was feeling not as close to my wife now looking back and um, she gets pregnant in this time. We have her first child. I meet my wife now in college and we hit it off my present wife, um, Mike's, Mike's, uh, sister-in-law. <laughs> okay. So, um, and, uh, so I started, I have an affair. I have an affair with her, something I never thought I was doing because I was going to church throughout this time. And, you know, and then, and that's killing me. That's killing me. You're doing the wrong thing. You're not living for God. You're, you're this horrible person. Um, my wife at the time has my first child and I'm over here having an affair and decide to separate from my wife, my first wife. And I move in with a bunch of guys that are in a weightlifting and steroids and partying. And so I'm hanging out with them, living in their house, uh, drinking, doing steroids. They get me into lifting. Um, and, uh, start doing coke it got so bad that they're telling me the owner of the house dude you got to stop using coke or you gotta get the fuck out of my house so was, that's how bad i was Shit. Um, and uh this was i think only like six months i was there um and then i'm dating my current wife uh like sleeping at her house Fuck it, dude. It was a mess. I can't even. I can't even explain how fucking messy my life was at that point. <laughs> I, I'm looking back. I'm like, holy fuck, you did that. You did this. You did that. Holy shit. I don't even know how I made it through it mentally. So, um, I have my daughter. My, it, it's so fucked up. So I have my daughter. She's, um, a year old. We have her first birthday. I have my girlfriend come to her first birthday party with my wife there and it was like kind of it was before we were really seriously dating i just go out with her and hang out with her every now and then but i'm like holy fuck what a mess you wove <laughs> you know um and then so then i i i separate from my wife i'm not really dealing with my daughter like out of her life i mean i'd see her i'd take her up on the weekends we'd hang out I'd hang out with my daughter, my current wife, Christina. I'll say Christina so we can clear it up. My first wife is Erica. Um, and then uh, I am so fucked up in the head. I have this major coke binge. Christina is looking for me, can't find me. I remember she was coming. She came over my buddy's house that I was living at the time 
And I was hiding in the basement because I was all coked out. And she's screaming at him, where is he? I, I'm calling him, he's not answering the phone. And I could hear all this and I'm hiding down in the fucking basement. That, that's like a real major low point in my life. And she takes off and then I think a, a day or two later, I, I hook back up with her. And I think I'm still binging on coke. Um, and I said, I gotta, I, I need help. So, and this is, this is Michael's wife's sister, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So this is, so this is an angry Italian as well. Oh, very angry. Yeah. Italian. But, but you know what? Not she's that Mike still, said his wife is an angry Italian. I just know she's Italian. And if she's Italian and from New Jersey, then you don't want to piss her off. But, I just know that so much. Funny. It's so funny. Cause mine's mellow. She's more of a quiet, you know, quieter one. That's funny. But you know, so I asked for help. I'm going to therapy too in the time at this time too. I'm going to a therapist, and she takes me to the therapist, and they decide they're going to send me to rehab. So this is my second time in rehab for alcohol. This is in 2002. This is when. So I, I go to rehab. I spend you know 28 days in there. Um, I get out, and this is on a coke binge and alcohol because I was at that time I'm using alcohol like like just daily. Um. And I get out of, out of uh, rehab and, and that's when I stopped drinking. I didn't drink after that, but I'm still going, struggling through this fucking messy separation. I think I was separated probably like five or six years living with Christina, living with Christina as friends. That's what I'm telling my wife, not knowing whether to shit or get off the pot as far as in a divorce finally decide we're going to get a divorce so i i go through this divorce proceeding and my wife being japanese wants to move back to japan with my daughter in the meantime i lose my 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 father and grandma i inherit a lot of money so i have a house and all this shit all i, I got money i'm good good to go through all this mess financially, I'm good to go. So I have a house that I pretty much own free and clear. Um, so my, my ex-wife wants to take my daughter back to Japan, to move back to Japan. Everybody's telling me, well, she was born in the United States. Not going to happen. It, you know, well, talk about getting fucked in the ass by the judicial system. I did. The judge decided that my daughter could go back to Japan to live with my my ex-wife she moved back so through all this divorce i lost everything i had um my lawyer bills alone were two hundred thirty thousand dollars. holy shit yeah um i'm thankful so i lost all that when we separated we both walked away with one hundred twenty thousand dollars. it went right to the lawyers so now you have a, you have you have like over a hundred thousand dollars worth of bills, but my lawyer was going through shit with her firm, ended up writing off the rest of what I owed. So I basically didn't have to pay the rest of it. So you got very lucky there. So I got lucky there. So my, my case, and you could even look it up online too, um, went all the way up to the Supreme court of the United States. We petitioned the Supreme court of the United States to, um, to stop my daughter from being able to leave the country. So it was, it was a big case in New Jersey. I think uh, at that point, I fucked a lot of uh, fathers out of their children, my case, because 
at that point, one, a lot of people were using my case, McKinnon versus McKinnon, to be able to move out of state and leave the other parent without, the, without being able to see the, the child. It was, pretty, it, was, it was a messed up situation. So I know a lot of people say um, the system really screwed me. But looking back at a sober mind and even talking, and you could talk to my wife, um, I got screwed by the system big time, big time. So you go through this like terrible divorce, this terrible custody battle. It's pretty much costing you literally hundreds of thousands of dollars that you're going through all of this stuff. Uh, and and how old are you even at this point? I am uh, 30. Yeah, thirties, mid thirties. Okay, so we did we we did cover a lot of ground there. Um, yes, from from the last time we kind of picked up and had an idea of where your age was, we're kind of like we moved along like ten years in that time frame. Um, yes. Okay, so I where where is this kind of taking you at this point? And and kind of going back a little bit as well. When you say that you didn't pick up another drink, was it for a short period of time? Or I know we're doing you do other drugs, but was that the literal last time you had a drink was looking back then and you're just doing other drugs or was that just, was that just yes, stopping? It was, for sh- it was okay. the last drink in 2002, last drink. I, I'm not going to lie. I've tasted sips of alcohol, but I never, I never drank a full alcoholic okay. beverage after that. Um, so even, and- even regardless of your <clears throat> sobriety date, you know, from the, from the drugs and the date that you claim, um, I don't want to say claim because that sounds like a bad word, but from the date that you, that you represent, uh, for actually being a hundred percent clean and sober, which I know that date, which we'll get to soon, but even to this day, you haven't actually had a full beverage or been drunk in almost 20 years to date of this interview. Yes. Wow. Yes. That's, that's a long yes. time, man. That's a very it long is. time. So, so, and along with your age, what, what year are we in at this point? We're at, at 35, in, let's say how old are you? Or- uh, all right. So this, this actually, cause I could give you a good thing. This is, this is 2006 because so you're that's 30, your mid thirties. It's 2006. Yeah. So okay. I, during my, um, my, uh, the trial for my, my divorce case and my child custody case, um, I get in an accident at work. I, and this is important because this is what set me off. I get in an accident at work, um, pouring concrete, this big, this thing that was, I'd say about 500 pounds lands on my back and blows out my, my, uh, my, uh, L5 S1 disc. So that's where I start on the pain meds. And this is going, this is during my court battle. So that's during my court battle and all the bullshit afterwards, losing my daughter, I'm on Oxycontins and Percocets. Wow. So, so, so now that, you're finding, now you're finding pills for the first time in your life. Yes. Um, go through the therapies, all that shit. Um, I, I go back to work after three months. Um, but the pain's too bad. I go to a surgeon, um, and I get a spinal fusion in 2008, 2008. Yeah, the beginning of 2008, um, after the spinal fusion, I'm on pain meds. Um, the pain's not going away. I go back to work. 
Um, I get off the meds for a little bit. I go back to work. I can't deal with the pain. I go pain management. They start putting me on Percocets and Oxycontins again. And I'm going through all, I'm getting poked and prodded, all this testing, all this bullshit. And, um, and uh, I'm, I'm no relief. So drugs are the, are the key to me at this time. So um, after the trial, I'm on drugs. Um, my, they decide to send my daughter back to Japan. I'm, uh, I get in a motorcycle accident and the pain management doctor is like, I'm, I'm going to look to get more drugs. I don't even have to ask him. He goes, oh, you got in a motorcycle accident? We'll bump your drugs up. So I'm like, sweet. I don't even have to ask for it. So my daughter gets sent, sent back to Japan. I am kind of, I'm kind of confusing the story. So she might have already been in Japan. She was already in Japan. I'm, I'm on drugs. She's coming back once a year, really, to visit my daughter for a month. Um, and the thing was, the scary thing about Japan was um, they don't honor any, any kind of um, foreign um, child visitation rights. So basically, J Japan was, a, uh, was a, uh, a haven for child abduction. There's a lot of children abducted to, to Japan by their their parents, and there's nothing America can do about it. So that's why I fought so hard and I was so scared to send my daughter over. I thought I'd never see her again because a lot of people I know I follow a group that they haven't seen their kids in 20 years. That's um, terrifying. And but one thing about her mother, she was supposed to send her back three times a year, but I was blessed to at least have her once a year. She would send her back to visit so she wasn't completely hiding her away from you no she wasn't so i will you know and i'm not saying that my my ex-wife was a horrible person i was a fucking user <laughs> a drug addict and alcoholic so maybe i was the douche i mean she had her issues too don't get me wrong but um so it's 2008 on my ex-wife's birthday i get in a fucking motorcycle accident my ex-wife's birthday. That was her present. That was her present. I got to a motorcycle <laughs> accident. That they bumped up my drugs. Um, and within a month, I'm using like way more than I, I'm supposed to be. Um, at the place we were living, the neighbor, Christina, our neighbor, now we're living together, was um, and we're married by this time, 2008. Um was a recovering addict herself. So she said, she's telling Christina all this time, your husband's an addict. And she's explaining the whole thing behind addiction, the mental state of people. She's like, watch, he'll get in a fight with you, count his pills. She started counting my pills, Christina, unbeknownst to me, because I am so fucked up on, on opiates now. So then it was... Um, we get in fights all the time, all the time because of my drug use. Um, I want to fight every five fucking minutes because I'm, I'm a, a absolute mental basket case. And then um, so it was uh, the day before my sobriety date. She gave me an ultimatum. 
you go to rehab or we're done. And so on the 4th of July, 2011, she drives me to uh, a, uh, a, a detox facility. And after a week there, I get sent to rehab out in Pennsylvania. Um, and in that time, talking to her, I'm like, okay, so I went to rehab. I'm doing well. Are we going to be together? And she's like, I don't know. She still wasn't. You know, you know that's, I, I'm all better now. So you should be all better now after I fucked her up for 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. Life. I mean, shit, I got a couple days yeah. under my belt. Isn't everything supposed to be perfect? Fucking great, man. And, and oh, be man. honest with you, with my recovery in, in rehab, it was this time, it was a fucking light switch, Megs. It was a light switch. I got to rehab. I went to detox. The, uh, the, the program hit. The program, actually, it was a light switch in my head. So when I was in detox, I was like, I don't have to go to rehab out in Pennsylvania. I'm good. She's like, no, you got to go spend a month there. So I begrudgingly went out there and um, it just edified that light switch and, and built up the building blocks of, of um, where I stayed today sober. Um, it was the best thing ever. I love so, that. Um, One, a couple of things I want to point out. First, it's it's always crazy when when I hear that people have these um, particular sobriety dates and, and clean dates, because it's like for me, when I was drinking July 4th, like, holy shit, that entire weekend, I was going insane. July 4th was such a partying uh, yep. holiday for me. When I was a drinker, it was probably it was probably my favorite holiday because we would just get tons of illegal fireworks and it would be nothing but food and drinking from like the minute I went up, uh, woke up until I blacked out and we just went crazy. I have so many stories of so many incidents in which like I could easily be dead uh, conversations and confrontations with police in which I could have easily been locked up, you know, yes. drinking and driving. Like it's, it's crazy to think uh, how all the things I did on 4th of July. So when I hear someone with that recovery date, it always thinks, in my head, like I would have never been able to get clean on the 4th of July. Cause no matter how bad I wanted it, I would have probably had to use that date to go out with a bang. Um, you know, all, all pun intended for, you know, 4th of July and fireworks there. Oh, but, so I always find that very interesting when I hear those dates, like 4th of July or new year's Eve or Christmas day or any, any of those dates in which like, you know, a lot of us just tend to get really shitty. Uh, and then aside from that, I also wanted to ask you, where is, where is your mental state going in? So hypothetically, if you can remember back this far and have an idea where your mind was, if, if Christina doesn't tell you on July 3rd, like either, either you do this or I'm leaving you like on July 2nd, we'll ask what, what was your mental state was, were you waking up and did you still have that? Some of that desire that you had when you were 19 or 20, do you realize that you're bad again? Do you, do you want to get clean or do you, are you back to thinking like, Oh no, these pills are helping me with pain management. I don't have a problem. Where is your mental state? Was there part of you that wanted it? Or was it like, did, did, did that need to happen on July 3rd for you to even realize that you needed it? Yeah. You know what? My life was fucking miserable, man. My, my life was miserable. My, my son, my oldest son, um, with Christina, um, he's 16 now. His birthday is July 1st. So I end up taking him fishing. She's like, go, go do something with your son on, on his birthday. So I went fishing with him. Which on would July have been his sixth birthday. He had just turned six then at that point. If he's 16 now. 
Um, yeah, yeah, he was a little guy. He was a little guy. So he's over there. So I'm fishing with him. She doesn't even want to deal with me. Um, I don't know what happened on July 2nd. My, oh, July 2nd, they might have a 4th of July party. Uh, fireworks in where I live. They have it a little earlier. Um, I get in a big fight with Christina, and I end up just taking Luke. So it's just me and the boy again on July 2nd. And I'm so fucked up by July 3rd. That's when she gives me an ultimatum. Now, when it's so funny when you say that, um, I'm like my mental state was out. I knew I had a problem, but I was scared um, because I had to provide for the family. Because Christina at the time she was working, um, she was working in childcare and wasn't making that much money. So I was like the big breadwinner. So if I wasn't working, the whole family would be done. Even though I'm terrorizing and fucking my whole family up, I'm just worried about finances. Um, so I'm um, getting back to the 4th of July when I walked into, when she drove me up to rehab, I was like, um, the, the lady that, that brought me in and, and um, uh, did all the paperwork, she goes, congratulations. This is the first day of, of, you know, of sobriety. She goes, what better day could it be? It's Independence Day. Now you have independence from drug and alcohol. I love it. And that stuck with me to this day. And I will fight tooth and nail to keep this as a sobriety day. That's I why that. I don't want to have, I'd have to drink and party again and have to wait till the 4th of July to get that date back. And I don't want to go through that. So I will not lose this date. <laughs> that's that's, date. that's beautiful right there. Those things that we hear, um, early on that really stick with us and like kind of become our motivators, you know, for you, it's hearing that that was your chance for independence day. For me, it was being in my first meeting at uh, four days sober, going to my stepping into my first AA meeting and an old timer telling me that I had a chance. Cause I also have twin boys who just turned 16 and I don't have a relationship with them because I chose drinking and partying over being present in their life for most of it. And now that they're old enough, they are just kind of doing their own thing. And sure. I'm kind of excluded from that life. But anyway, I, I being in my first meeting, when an old timer told me, you know, you might have fucked up with the with the older kids, but you have at, at the time, my son, my youngest was only 16 days old. And he told me you have a chance for your youngest son to never see you drunk. If you if you yeah. do this right. And that's kind of that thing that stuck with me. And to this day, it's one of the things that I really hold my head on when I'm having a bad day. If and, and I don't really get too many cravings anymore, but if the thoughts even run through my head, I keep telling myself, well, Bronx, this is Bronx never seen you drunk. Don't let him see you drunk. This is yeah. your like continue working on this. And so it's 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 really awesome when we have those things by someone who understands and I'm sure they know they're doing it. Um, but I think some of it sometimes is subconsciously because they're just speaking from the heart. But when they drop those nuggets, like this is your independence from yep. from drugs and, and all that. And it's like, yeah, cool. That's something that's always going to stick in your head, hopefully the rest of your life and be one of your one of your motivators, along with your family and and all of that great stuff. So that's that's always great when they can help kind of like plant that seed and we can continue watching that watching that grow through us. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I, I think it's a very important for us to share the stories because there might be one of those, as you say, nuggets that somebody else will pick up and it's very important. For sure. Very now walk us, walk us through your early recovery. 
Okay, so um, I go, I go to, I try to do the the, the ninety day, uh, the ninety ninety and ninety. Yeah, um, I don't quite get that far. I'd probably do like maybe seventy or something like that. But I'm like, I'm in a very good, good place at the time. The pink so, cloud. <laughs> yeah, the pink cloud. Um, but looking back, it's a pink cloud, but it's it's the real cloud it's not a it's not it's not a pink pink cloud i mean because i gotta struggle i've got to deal with the mess i left with my family um i'm going to church i'm getting support with the church the family all goes to church with us um at that time um but i i have to mend especially with my wife and i'm sorry my stepson whom i terrorized his fucking from the time he was six Till I was fucking sober. I fucking terrorized this kid. Absolutely terrorized him. And that still sticks to this day with, with my wife now, with Christina. Um, Eddie is his name. Um, and I, I'd say we, we've mended our relationship. Um, and I'm blessed for his forgiveness. I am humbled by his forgiveness because I'm telling you, I was a douchebag to him. When you say terrorized, do you want to clear that, clarify that a little bit? Because I have a feeling that it's not as I just just for our listeners, I don't want them thinking that like you're doing something crazy in which you're probably not doing. Because I'm assuming it's not like physical or anything like that. It's probably just it's like watching watching him watching you argue with his mom all the time and and oh, that I kind would, of stuff. I would pick on him because um, I think I I think I was fighting for love from my wife, um, so I was jealous of him. Um, not, it didn't get physical, but you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the nicest person to him when I said terrorize him, you know, Um, unfortunately you were probably, I mean, if we're just, if we're just being blunt and putting cards on the table, uh, you're unfortunately probably inflicting that same mental pain in which you about an hour ago, we talked about how that was way worse than the physical pain when your mother was bringing it onto you. You're unfortunately doing the same thing to this little boy. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, keep it, keeping the cycle going, you know, that's. When, when one alcoholic, you know, has, or an, an addict has parents that are the same way, you know, we always try and say we're breaking the cycle. Like, that's what I try and do because my dad's an alcoholic. My grandmother's an alcoholic. So I try and say, I'm trying to break the cycle here. Unfortunately, you were keeping the cycle going there with the mental abuse. And so yes, now, and then, now you yeah. need to focus on breaking that cycle as well. Yes. So, um, so that's what, that's what I was doing. And for the, like, I, I'll tell you when, um, when I say it was a light switch, what I got, cause I, I struggle with anger, like pent up rage, like major, major rage. I'm talking about blackout screaming at people rage. <clears throat> I came back. I was like, uh, I don't think I, um, I argued with my wife for three years. Um, I basically what I used to Michael, I had to eat a lot of shit sandwiches all the shit that I fucking, I put her and the family through, I had to eat them in that time. So she would, she would, um, the analogy is she would bring up my past, talk about what a scumbag I was and all that shame and all that shit that came back into my head. That was the shit sandwich. And I had to fucking swallow it. Um, and, uh, so I did a lot of that for the, the first four or five years um and to this day i mean it's like i'm 10 years sober and she still brings up shit from the past and you know maybe i could talk through some of that pain for her but i was the perpetrator so it's kind of hard for her 
to see even 10 years later, sometimes uh, some of the triggers that we have from the past still surface. But I'm sure um, it's, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm sure it's probably a lot better. And there's, there's probably, you know, like you said, you're able to at least talk through it now. And there's probably, there's probably just like an, an, an unbreakable bond now at this point, especially because she'll, she'll forever remember that, you know, she had to give you that ultimatum, but you went and you did the right thing to be able to be there for your family and, and for yourself. Cause I think that's most important too. our listeners always need to know that that's one thing I was told in early sobriety and recovery. And you'll continue to hear it. I mean, we have to put our recovery first. We oh, can have, yeah. we can have a means, we can have a reason we can be given an ultimatum. Your wife or your husband might tell you, I'm going to leave you. If you don't do this, I'm going to take the kids. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. That can be what starts the fire. But to keep that fire burning, you have to put your recovery first because anything that you put before your recovery or your sobriety, you will lose. You will 100% lose. Um, you know, we're, we're told this early on. So, you know, that, that, can, that can get it going for you, but you have to be able to put those, you have to put your recovery and your sobriety first because without it, I mean, you'll lose everything else again the way you almost did the first time. Yes. And that, it is true. It is true. I do put my sobriety first. I do. Um, and um, I guess like for me, um, I don't go to meetings. I, I stopped going to church because, you know, like church for me has gotten like really wonky with all this political stuff. And I'm not getting political, but with all this the division and stuff, I just we, we left the church like three years ago. Not I didn't leave Jesus or, you know, or my, you know, who's my higher power. Um, but whatever works for you that way, you know, the program, it's like, that's for me, how I, I weave the program in with, with my spirituality. Um, I don't go to meetings, but I do read just for today. Like I said, in the beginning, um, daily, and I post something. I, I don't think I've missed a day reading just for today or posting it on Facebook. And this is my walk. And this is what I do to keep me sober one day at a time just for today um, is I feel compelled to get a message out to somebody and how much, how much the scriptures and the Bible go hand in hand with the program. Because it is that. based on it is based on the Sermon of the Mount. Feel free to start posting those just for today's. I know you joined the Stankfit ODAC group. Feel free to post those in the group because, I mean, stuff like that is exactly what the group is about, posting your fitness gains, your goals, and, and recovery stuff. So definitely feel free to, like, when you post that on your own little private wall, feel free to click that share button and bring okay. that in for us as well because that'll be cool for people to just see regularly. I, I, I love shit like that. Um, and I also, you know, back to the, the church thing as well, you know, I found – I found God as well early on in my sobriety. I mean, before I was sober, I don't think I, I can't even remember the last time I was in a church that wasn't for a wedding or a baptism or something along those lines. Like just, I can't remember when I was there just for, for myself and to, to be a part of God. And when I first started going to church, like, just like anything else, like I dove right in head first, started yeah. helping out yep. with service work. You know, they told me to go to like AA told me to be a 90 90. Well, church was opening up a new campus and I helped out with doing the breakfast for the, uh, for the, the people that were doing service and just helping out in any way I could. And, you know, I, I had, I don't want to say a falling out because nothing bad happened, but I kind of, uh, 
I burnt myself out a little bit in the beginning with all yeah. of that. And so I took a step back, but then I was also reminded that, you know, you don't have to go to church to speak with God, you know, and, and I don't want to get too religious on our listeners yeah. and, yeah. you know, feel free to click the, the fast forward 30 seconds button if you don't want to hear this. But, you know, for me, I, I was reminded by other people as well that I didn't have to go to church to speak with God. I could, I could have him anywhere where I took a second where it was quiet and it was peace. And I took a second to just speak with him. That could be church, just like a meeting doesn't always have to be showing up at a room with a bunch of people. Yes, that's great. Yes, I love it. Yes, it worked for me in the beginning. I love a 12-step program. You know, however, you know, a meeting is also when two or more people are just talking about their recovery and and talking through it. Like right now, this is a meeting yes. right now. And so, yes. you know, sometimes I have to remind myself of that and and you know, because that's that's exactly what it is. You know, as long as you're staying focused on your sobriety, and as long as you're staying focused on your faith, I don't think you're giving either one of those up just because you can't make it to a room. And, you know, that word room applies to whether it's the 12-step the program rooms or church. You know, you don't yeah. have to go to that room to celebrate those things. You can, you can do that right from home, or we can do that the way we're doing it right now. So I think that's also important for listeners to know. Uh, early on, I really suggest getting, getting to those places because it really helps out in the beginning. But, you know, it, it doesn't only have to be that way. And I also always say that in these podcasts, too. You know, the Stang Fit ODAC group, we're not affiliated with any 12-step program. You know, whatever works for you, works for you, whether that's going to AA, NA, CA, uh, GA, if you're a gambler, uh, going to sure. church, getting a therapist, or just simply talking to your neighbor in recovery and or reading reading just for today or or whatever the case may be, there are many, many pathways. There's smart recovery. There are other other type of pathways. There are so many pathways, especially today in 2021. There are so many ways to get clean and sober. Just the one common denominator I've noticed with all of these pathways is to just not try and do it alone. Reach out to people, talk to people, you know, try and get help, whether it's physically or mentally, just talk to people. Don't try and do this at home. Don't keep it all buried up inside because that's, I think, when it's the hardest. And, you know, we just, we got to reach out and, and we don't have to be alone. And that's why I started this podcast as well is for, like I said in the beginning, when I wanted people to leave ratings and reviews, you know, so a stranger can hear this who doesn't already know about the group because you never know when you're going to resonate with someone. You never yes. know who's sitting there just drinking and drinking and drinking and, and doesn't realize that it doesn't have to be this way. There is a better way. There's a softer way and that there are options and they're not alone. And so, I mean, for shit for some people, their meetings might be listening to these podcasts and, you know, going to the gym. And as we like to say in the gym, just beating the shit out of their bodies, you yeah. know, and, and just listening to this podcast while they're there and saying, all right, I can do it just for today and, and make it through and wake up tomorrow because you don't have to worry about how you're going to stay sober tomorrow or, or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. All you have to do is focus on today. Fall asleep sober today and you can worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And yes. so I, I try and, you know, I'll, I, I, you know, that's one of those things I repeat almost every podcast and I'll probably continue doing that as long as this podcast is going forever and ever. And as long as I'm sober, it's, it's something I'm going to keep beating that horse, you know, as much as I can, because I want to keep reminding people and for the people that are listening for the first time, you know, there, there is, there are other options. You don't have to keep doing what you're doing. And that's, that's why we are here. So what is working for you 
in or actually yeah let's go ahead and let's just jump into fitness you know i already i already kind of said something there you know but beating the shit out of our bodies because we tend to do yeah. that in the gym so let's talk about fitness what you're doing uh i can see even though you're wearing a baggy hoodie i can tell you're not a small guy and when i say not small for our listeners i don't mean fat i mean i can just tell he's a he's a he's a swole dude i've seen some pictures on facebook you know you're fucking huge <laughs> <laughs> like you definitely I'm, clearly I'm, put I'm five foot seven. That, that ain't huge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, shit, I'm five, seven too, but I'm, uh, and I'm getting yelled at by my three-year-old. He doesn't, he he's learning, he's learning the bad words. And so when I tell him that he's not allowed to say him, he yells at me when I do. So oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my podcast, the, the co-host is, uh, is telling me to watch my language, which is hard to do when we're doing these, um, so when he's old enough, I'll explain to him why daddy curses when he does this, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, so, but yeah, you're not a, you, you might not be tall, but you are definitely not small. Uh, man, that should be a bumper sticker. I'm not tall, but I'm not small. I like you're a, you're a big dude. Though, all jokes aside, you're a big dude. You got some shredded pictures. I don't know how old they are. I don't know how current they are, but, uh, you're definitely putting in your work in the gym. So. Why don't you tell us, I know you said you ran back then, but what are some of the things you're doing now in your, in your fitness journey? All right. So funny because Michael, Michael's the one that was bugging me to go, you know, he's like, you got to start lifting. You gotta, and, and I, and I use like any addict would do even in recovery, like, Oh, I'm going to hurt myself. I'm not going to, you know, especially with a spinal fusion, I can't lift. I can't run because you're, you know, the concussion on your body. I made all kinds of excuses. Well, I was also on a um, non-narcotic um, pain reliever, uh, pain medicine, and it made me blow up like a freaking balloon. I got so fat because every time it would make me dizzy, I would eat. So I gained so much weight. And it was probably like five years ago. Like Michael kept bugging me. You should go, you know, should work out, push the iron. You got to, you got to hit the steel. You got to hit the steel. You know, Michael. Oh, so yeah. He's I'm a like, very, he's, like, he's a motivator for sure. Oh yeah, he is. I like, hell no. He's a big part of my recovery too, but I could go on another hour with him. But, um, so I, um, I was like, I got to do something. So I started dieting and the labor that was working on my crew. He's like, listen, just, just do a couple push-ups, a couple sit-ups before you go in the shower. I started that. So I did that for three months doing like air body weight squats. And I was like, this isn't enough. So then with Michael's influence, I started hitting the weights. I had weights forever. I carried them around like bad luggage all over the place. So I started hitting my weights again. And that's what made me dive into it. I know he had mentioned, I'm like in the powerlifting. Yeah. I'm in the powerlifting. I'm an aspiring powerlifter, a dreamer, but I don't, I'm not saying I, I had to slow down because I injured myself doing that. So I, I follow along that line with heavy lifting, you know, and that keeps me going. And it really makes me with the sober thinking and, and, you know, my, uh, my religious beliefs, it, it is, it's, it's, um, it's body, mind, and spirit. And, and I've been working out hard for about five years and that's helped me grow exponentially, mentally, spiritually on top of now physically. Um, I, it is such an important part of my sobriety journey that for the first five, six years, I, I, I missed out on the physical part of it. 
how much more it completes you and how important it is, you know, because you're keeping the temple healthy. Your body is a temple. Absolutely. You know? and, and without going into too much detail as well, out of respect for your wife, but I'm pretty sure she probably enjoys the last five years too of, uh, of you putting in that work as well. Cause Hey, I mean, yes. who, you know, who, who doesn't want to see what, who doesn't want to see their significant other coming home, you know, after, after putting in a hard workout and getting in a nice pump, you know, I think, I think that helps out a lot of things in our home life as yeah. well, for sure. Um, it does. So it, it, it absolutely does. How many days a week are you, uh, are you in the gym or how many, how, how, this is like multiple questions at once, but how many days a week are you in the gym? How, how long are you in the gym when you go for a workout? How many hours a week are you putting in? Um, like right now, like since August, I've been struggling with a breathing issue. I don't, it's not COVID. I can't figure it out. I, I went to a cardiologist, went to um, a pulmonologist doing, a, um, I did a sleep study two days ago. So I got to wait for those results. Um, I think it's sleep apnea, but I've been, I've been having a hard time going to the gym regularly um, because I have some bad days of breathing. Um, but uh, I've, I've been trying, my goal is, and it still is, but with kids in sports too, it's so freaking busy. Um, three days a week, okay. uh, about an hour and a half each time. And I'm like, I'm talking about intense. I'll go like, cause I just started going back to the gym. I have my own gym, but I, I go to the Y. Um, I like the Y. Um, and an hour and a half in there, but like heavy lifting, not like I, I put on the headphones and I'm, I'm by myself in there. There could be a hundred people in there, but I'm by myself. I love um, it. So when you say heavy lifting, like if you were, if you were running right now, I would ask you numbers, how many miles a week are you running? Are you doing this and that? So let's talk numbers in the lifting aspect. Like what are, uh, what are some of your PRs? I'm just going to throw out a few different, uh, skills and you hit me with your PR. So benching, squatting deadlifting, clean snatches, whatever you want to throw. I mean, yeah, what, are, I just, what are your PRs? All right. So I don't really have a PR. Like I have bad shoulders and shit. So I don't like bench pressing. My God, I can't do nothing. I look like I could bench press, but I can't, I can't even, the numbers would be embarrassing. I, I'd say maybe, maybe I could get 225 up now. It looks like I could lift more, but no, um, man, you say, see, you say nothing, but dude, again, you're five, seven and, and dude, my, that's like 225 will be a life goal for me. Like, I think, I think one time, I think I got one, 150 or 160 for like two reps. And that was such a struggle. So man, I would, man, 225 would be a life goal for me in the gym. All right. Okay. So um, I say my strongest until I injured my leg. And this is where the age comes in. Um, in the beginning of the summer, I, I tore a, a quad muscle. Thank God it was a, just a, a fiber in my leg. Um, I was working, I was doing three sets um, of six reps with 315 on a bar squatting. Oh my God. Uh, and not on the Smith machine. That's in my basement. So it's funny because I, there's no safeties in my basement. So when I tell you I have bad shoulders, I got down in a hole with the squat. I felt that fiber pop in my leg and I damn near fucking pressed that motherfucker over my head 315. I was like, holy fuck. I threw it. I was in the hole and I just threw it over my head. And these I are ass to grass? Uh, if, as far as I could go, as far as these old bones would go, 
Yeah, I was wow. down in the hole below below ninety, so I Ooh. could not get back up. So I had to press it. Nobody in the house would be strong enough to help me. So oh, no. I left on my own and just try to be as safe as I can. So and that um, and deadlifts, I was working out with like uh, just a little over four four hundred, like for eight reps. That's one of my that's one of my goals is to get to four hundred. So. Um, I interviewed this guy, uh, Wilson Horrell, who is uh, one of the founders of the uh, Lift Heavy Run Long, and they uh, they have this club. It's called the 5400 Club, and it's to be able to run 50 miles and deadlift 400 pounds. And it's like in a time frame that you got to do it. Obviously, they don't expect you to do that in the same day, but I think it's like within like 30 days or however much the time frame is. But it's that's the goal is to run 50 miles and deadlift 400 pounds. And so that's like a goal of mine. I got a, so far I'm up to 26.4 miles, which is pretty much just bad tangents on a marathon. And, uh, I think my deadlift PR is two, two twenty or two fifty two. I think maybe two Oh five or two fifteen of actually getting it up. What I, what I looking back at the video, what I consider decent form actually locking okay. it out at the top the hip thrust yeah. forward um i think i had a 225 where depending on who you ask they would maybe count the rep i personally don't maybe i just have too many friends that are in a crossfit and so like i watch the crossfit games and whatnot and like yeah i consider it like i when i'm looking at the video i think like would a crossfit judge give you credit for the rep and so like i'm a little <laughs> tough on myself on that but you know some might say shit you got it up anyway um, but you can see like the knees, the knees shaking and like, it wasn't, but I'm working on form. Like I'm dealing, I'm nursing a broken ankle right now. And so I know that's one are. of the things yeah. I, uh, I actually just posted a video on my TikTok. Um, I was at the gym and they told me I can do really, really lightweight. So I'm deadlifting. It's only 60 pounds, but like I'm going really, really slow and I'm just focusing on form. So when I get back to full strength, I want to be able to get back to that two, two plus, and I just want to get my form locked down and really, really focus on getting that as I build back up in the weight. So I'm trying to find the positives to this injury and, oh, yeah. and really power back strong. Um, but even and that 60 pounds too, it's crazy. Cause even if you do lightweight, when you do, when you do really good form and you're doing it slow and you're contracting properly, yeah. like my hamstrings, even today, two days later are are more sore and hurt more like in a good way than when I was putting up, you know, 200 and, and doing that because I was just focusing on form and doing it the right way. So I'm contracting the muscles the right way, which, which you know, is, is more important. They say too, I mean, you rather you bench one one thirty five and use proper form and do it the right way. than go ahead and sling two twenty five shitty where you can yeah. a hurt yourself and b you're not really doing anything if you're not doing it the right way it's all about form when you're when you're it, lifting absolutely absolutely and that's what happened was like i was working out with that 315 working out for reps and i was getting sloppy so like i took that as a lesson like when that fiber popped and i had to go back to lifting you know i went to the doctor I went to a sports medicine doctor and he's like yeah start lifting again whenever you can you know just go lighter. I started working on the form again. Cause you know, I don't care how many years you've been in it. You know, you start throwing more weight on, if you're not concentrating on the form, it, you're going to, you're going to get hurt or, or you're going to realize I can't lift that much. So the form is key because form will also help you lift. lift heavier weight. Now. Oh, it's great. 
The quad's great. I'm not back up to 315, but I'm up to 275. So we got to okay. get, we got to, we got to get in a workout together. I, I said this to Michael too. And, and I, I know Michael's going to listen to this episode, but this is how I know Michael, this is how we'll know that you're listening and that you're actually paying attention. Um, if I get a text message from you about this topic right here. So when I interviewed him, we talked about, uh, I do these interviews in my dining room and like last December or January, I bought a, an at-home gym, like a, a rig weight, bent, uh, pretty much all the stuff that you need to lift at home, uh, minus the bench. Like I bought everything and it hasn't even been put together. It's still sitting in the box, pretty much still brand new. This thing has been in a box. When you really think about the, the, the pass down, it's been in a box for like two years. It was in a box in my boss's basement for a year. He sold it to me. It's been in a bait. It's been in the box in my dining room for about a year. And Michael was busting my balls. Like we need to get that thing put together. I'll come over. I'll help you. Uh, you know, this and that. And we kind of just never set it up. I kind of procrastinated. So Michael, I'll know you're listening to this episode. If you reach out to me and you text me and say, yo, why is that box still not put together? And, and then, then maybe that'll be the motivator and I'll get moving and we'll set something up. So Go ahead. I, I challenge you to, to get me going again. Um, but talking about him, I'm, I'm drawing a blank off the top of my head. You might know the answer to this. Uh, I can't remember exactly how many years he has in recovery. Do you know off the top of your head? I believe it's 13 or 14. Cause he I thought was so. In- it was a little bit more than 10. So yeah. where does, I know you said he's a big part of your recovery and I want to take some time to talk about this as well. Where does, where do your stories overlap? Was there, you know, because you were, you know, married to sisters, I, don't, I can't remember again how long he's been with his wife either, but where did you know him when you were still using or did you only got, did you guys not meet until you were both in recovery? Cause I'm pretty oh, sure no. you don't, you didn't know him in his active using days. Did you? No, I did not. I have not seen him junk no or anything because i think he was clean before he met his wife if i'm not mistaken yes what happened was so the big part of it was i didn't go to church for the longest time and he started dating Ange. i think uh i think i was still dating christina and he started i don't know when because i got married to christina in 2008 i forgot when he got married i don't know if it was a couple months after us or what or a year after us but so he started dating um Ange, and uh i hope it's all right to use her name but um, i think he used he used her name in the uh okay. In, okay. in our podcast interview as okay. well he shouted her out okay and um so when he started dating he invited me to the church in me and my family to the church and i was in act i was actively using that and um so that's where that started the church part and you know of course you know sisters get together um and uh so that's he started becoming part of our life and when i was going through the deep heavy shit with the oxycontins and percocets being a recovering addict he was talking to my wife too and then she would ask him stuff and then he would call me up and just shoot the shit with me so that like a lot of my bond with him in the beginning was um was him trying to help me out with addiction but you know of course i had this major spinal fusion i wouldn't be able to live without drugs so i always justified the drug use okay so he he really helped me on early on too with the with the um 
with the chats and recovery, but it really didn't sink in as much because I know he's, <clears throat> he's not so much in a 12 step program as much as what helped him get sober was the, you know, was the basketball thing with the church um, and, and diving into the scriptures. But again, like I said, it's like, you know, like the 12 steps based on the, the sermon on the Mount in the Bible. So um, I, I, that's how I started because I, became sober through the program and the 12 steps and that's where i i meld it and interweave it into my religion religious beliefs so so when i do read just for today daily i'll look at like i said in the beginning of the of the podcast i'll look at a scripture in the bible that pertains to that aspect of recovery and try to find a scripture to match it. And boy, you find, you find those parallels throughout the Bible, you know, and, and, and that's, and that's where I use the program is a daily reading of the just for today and, and sticking my nose in the scriptures. And I love it. That's, and he's such a, he's such, he really is such an inspiration and motivation. And I know he's very like open and loud about his recovery. He's one of those like recover out loud. Don't be ashamed of it. You know, just tell everybody. Yeah. So I can only imagine, you know, it probably even back to your active addiction, it probably wasn't long until he probably that you probably even knew he was in recovery. I can only I can only imagine it was probably like one of the first couple times you guys went out to eat together or hung out. It was probably already like public information that he oh, was yeah. in recovery because he's not one of those if you offer him. And I mean, I never hung out with him, so I could be completely wrong, but I, I don't take him as one of those like you offer him a beer and he's like no thank you multiple times like you probably get like two maybe three attempts to offer him a drink before he's like no i'm in recovery i'm good you know let's not beat around the bush let's just put this out there so that way you don't continue doing this like that's the that's the kind of vibe i get from him uh because he has nothing to be ashamed of and he's he's very proud of his recovery the, the way we should be and as long as you oh, can uh, as long as you can yeah. afford to be open about it you know some people have certain jobs or you know whatever the case may be and i respect that if they have to be more anonymous but if you, if you are, if you can afford the, the privilege to just be open about yours shit, I'd say there's nothing to be ashamed of. Just embrace uh, it. I will, I will say one thing though. Uh, and, and this is so when he hears it, cause I'm going to, I'm going to stick it to him. I'm more open than he is. <laughs> I have no problem with it. I really don't. I, and I'm so, I'm so grateful to have him in my life. Um, I am, uh, and like, like you are saying, it, it's so important to be open and not be ashamed of it because everybody, I have no problem. People, I, I meet them right away. Or like, if I go to the house and they offer me a beer, I say, I'm the, I'm in recovery. Not once have I, have I met a person that I told instantly that I was in recovery has said, oh, you're a loser. Everybody's like, that's fantastic. Even the people who drink, they're like, that's good. Good for you. I never felt shame by admitting it so i think i think we need to look at ourselves and and be courageous because you know what this is our journey and it's like anything else it's like this is my journey this is my life i'm going i'm heading in a positive direction there's no way you could be like you know you're a fuck up yeah did we all fuck up and, and the thing is is it, everybody has fucked up in their life whether you're you're an addict or you're not 
you know? So, and, and that's, that's the key too. And I think, and I think honestly, the key to love, uh, the key to sobriety and, um, and a, uh, um, a continued growth is, and I, this is what I was thinking when I first was invited to the podcast, the key to all this is love. It really is. I think love is the basis for everything and love really ultimately wins to love yourself, love the people around you and, and reach out to those loved ones. And I think, I think that's important. And I think that's a big, important part of my relationship with Michael and my family too. It's like, we really love each other and really care for each other. And, and we need to do that with each other and be easy on each other and love each other as addicts to help each other grow. For, for sure. And he has, he has nothing but love for you. Let me see if I can try and find this message. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, Oh shit. I can't even find it. But like when he was, uh, when he reached out to like, tell me about, um, you know, getting you on here too. It's like, you can tell that there was nothing but like love and admiration as well for what you're doing. And he was like super happy to try and get us introduced to try and get you to share your story because he knows how open you are about it. And I was like super excited. And he said, once, once he sent his brother my way and I realized how much we clicked and whatnot, like yeah. he already, he has the ultimate pass. Like, you know, it's, it's no longer like he understands what the podcast is. He understands I'm looking for people in recovery that are focusing on fitness. So, you know, if someone else sends somebody my way, I don't want to say that there has to be like qualifications to be on this podcast. Cause it's not like we're looking for like celebrities sure. or anything, but it's really like, I'm looking for someone who, and it doesn't really matter how much recovery time you have, but I'm looking for somebody in recovery that whether it's, whether it's a, uh, a month or 30 years, I'm just looking for somebody who, who people know that they genuinely want it and, and has a desire to talk about their fitness journey as well. And so, I mean, he already showed me that he understands that, you know, uh, you know, as the kids would say, he understood the assignment. So, yeah. uh, like he, it, I mean, for he'll have the ultimate pass. Like if he pretty much at this point just says, Hey, I got somebody who'd be great on your podcast. I really have no more follow-up questions. It's all right. Cool. Send me their yeah. name and their number and we'll link it up. And, and that's that because as you know, from this and you can, you can vouch too, if anybody thinks I'm making this shit up, there is no prep time. You know, there's, there's about two minutes before we hit the record button where I tell yeah. you, we're going to talk great. about, we're going to talk about your childhood. We're going to talk about your first experience with a drink or a drug. We're going to talk about your recovery and what works for you. We're going to talk about fitness and however the story flows in between there. That's just how it is. You know, I'm not going to send you a list of all the questions I'm going to ask you. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And, uh, you know, I actually attribute a lot of that to a really, really good friend of mine, someone who was like, who, who I got none but love for my very first interviewee that I did, uh, Evan, you know, when I came into this podcast thing and I didn't know how to approach it, I didn't know what to do. And I thought like, shit, I got to do a lot of homework. I got to write down all these questions and get it prepped out and whatnot. Because at that point I had only ever been on one podcast featured and, you know, they sent me a list of questions that they were going to ask. And I pretty much answered the questions in advance. And then we got out there and, you know, it was a great interview and everything was awesome and it's a great show, but like it just, it, it, it was that. And so when I did something similar and I sent a whole list of questions to Evan and I was like, Hey, tell me about this, this, and this, and here's a list of questions. And if you can get, he's like, Migs, I've been on a few interviews before and uh, 
you know, it's, it's nothing like this, you know, why can't we just go out there and why can't we just talk and let's just have a conversation like you and I've known each other for a couple of years. We're friends. Why can't we just approach it that way on the podcast? And I was like, you're absolutely right. Let's just go in and let's just wing this, so to speak. And so ever since then, that's how I've approached every single interview. I haven't prepped anybody with questions ever since. And I think it's worked out way better because it's just genuine. It's raw. And I get to hear these stories for the most part, for the first time as well. Like I might know how many years you have in recovery. I might yeah. know some of the things you did if we're Facebook friends and you know, whatever you've shared publicly already, but I'm getting to hear a lot of these stories for the first time, you know, going to the military and, and previously being married and, you know, getting jumped, getting jumped in the neighborhood and, you know, shooting up IVs before you're even old enough to go in the bar and, yeah. you know, all this stuff, I'm hearing this for the first time. And I think it makes it more genuine that way. It's not like, all right, now tell us about when this happened. And like I said, I'm not, there's no checklist here. So I love it that way. Uh, is there, I know you mentioned powerlifting. Did you have any specific goals? Are you trying to get into some type of competition when you, when you feel you're hundred percent back to where you want to be? Do you have any, or if not, do you have any specific fitness goals uh, other than just trying to maintain and stay the best version of yourself you can be? Yeah, I think I was uh, in the beginning, I was like, you know, those delusions of grandeur about being like, yeah, I'm going to go on a, on a, on a, on a, a powerlifting, uh, you know, competition and all that. And, and, you know, Michael doesn't help being a, uh, my brother-in-law because he's all into freaking competition and shit. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, and I think after I injured myself a couple of times, I'm like, yeah, you know, scale it back there, cowboy, take, take it down some, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I think my ultimate goal is I just don't want to, like, I see the older folks around me falling apart. You know, I look like I fall apart after a heavy lifting day, like the next day, but I'm stronger than I ever been. Um, and I just want to maintain myself and be a health, you know, I, I abuse my life, uh, my body too long. You know, I'm blessed to, to say that I, I, I bounce back physically that, um, so my goal is really to maintain it and be a jacked old man. That's, that's my goal right now. And you definitely don't look your age, man. Like you look great for your age. Like if it wasn't for, uh, if it wasn't for the, the, the salt and pepper beard, which, you know, it, you definitely pull it off. It, it looks good on you. But, uh, you know, I, I think if it wasn't, if it wasn't for that distinguished look there, I mean, I'd probably give you like mid thirties. And oh, I know, and I know you're probably, I, I mean, I'm just trying to do math here. I mean, I'm assuming you're probably in your late forties. I'm 53. Oh shit. Yeah. Definitely wouldn't give you that. I'd give you like late, maybe like late thirties, early forties at the, at the oldest. And again, I think part of that is, is the beard. Um, but you're, it's, you're taking, you're taking great care of yourself and, and it's, it's showing, uh, is there any, is there any programs centers, websites, advocacies? Is there anything that you want to plug at this moment? Anything that anything or anybody that you want to shout out specifically in which we can also put any links in the show notes if, if needed, but anything that has helped you in your recovery journey that, that you want to plug right now, or anybody out there that's doing great work for the community, whether it be recovery or fitness that, that you want to shout out. Yeah, I, I, you know, not really. I mean, I, I look at you and I'm not saying this just because I'm on your show, but I mean, I mean, you know, you're earlier on in your sobriety, you're in it, you're, you're giving so much to community. You're so passionate about this. And I'm telling you, I, I feel very honored and blessed to be on the show. Um, I don't specifically 
you know, like I'll type in just for today and, and look at, I have the book at home, but it's easier to go online now. It's just have the, but as far as the net goes, it's like, no, I don't have much except, you know, what you're doing is fantastic. I really, really, I, 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 again, I'm humbled and, and, and blessed to be on the show. I appreciate that. Uh, is, uh, just for today is like, it's, it's like, a, is it a paragraph or a chapter for the day or? Yes. If you look up just for today, every, like, just type it in. The first thing that pops up is, uh, <laughs> is, um, is the daily reading. Basically, you know, in, in church, your daily bread, that little booklet yeah. you get. So they'll have, so they'll have a, um, like a, a topic and then they explain the topic. And then at the end, they give you like a summary of, of what your, what your plans are for today. It's only a page. That's all. It's a well, great read. Full disclosure, I actually already knew the answer to that, but since I know that it's a it's it's a big part of you, I just wanted you to be able to answer that for our listeners that might okay. not have known. Um, I know you're using your phone on this interview. Do you do you know the just for today off the top of your head or any part of it that you would want to share with our listeners today? I know I it might just, be tough with using your phone for the interview right now because that's probably how you would look at it. Yeah, that's how I would look at it. And the thing is, is I I posted a real quick one this morning right before I I got on here because I was like I got to send it out because there's a couple people I actually send that scripture out that I base off of just for today to them personally, and so I had to get it out because he gets all paranoid. One of the guys gets all paranoid if I don't send him. Are you all right today? <laughs> I've been doing it for ten years, so <laughs> yeah, I'm all right, dude. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I think we're, uh, I think we're Facebook friends. I was trying to, I was trying to find you on uh, Facebook real quick. Cause I was going to like, look it up for you. Oh shit. I just freaking got out of zoom. What the hell? All you're, right, st I you're still here. You just, uh, you just turned off your video or you probably turned your phone the other way around. I turned my phone the other way around. I'm trying to get on the zoom. Is this guy? Yeah, good. It opened me up. Yeah. Don't do that to me. <laughs> I'm an old man. I can't look at the phone <laughs> and, and be on a zoom meeting at the same time. Um, I thought I shit. I, I know we're Facebook friends. I don't know why I'm having trouble finding you. Are we Facebook friends? I, I, are you, do you have a separate? Yeah, I know. We're, I'm pretty sure we are. Cause you are, is Odat? Yeah. Ron, Ron Angus, right? Yeah. Here yes, you go. yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're friends. Let's. So I don't necessarily, I don't post the just for today. I post, I post the scripture from the Bible that kind of pertains to that idea um today was about surrendering that's what it was about surrendering surrendering um just like you know the 12 steps surrendering to god leaving it in his hands and 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 letting him carry your i think yesterday was letting him carry your burdens so this yeah this is what you posted today i can see uh humble yourselves therefore under god's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time one Peter five, six NIV. I'm not the greatest with uh, scriptures and then let okay. me let go and let God. Yeah. So it's about surrendering to him. Sometimes I can't always get the whole meaning in, in that scripture. So I'll pick something that kind of, and then I usually put my own two cents in at the end, you know, of where I was kind of going with that idea of where that, where that scripture is from Absolutely pertaining to the re, pertaining to recovery. For sure. All right. So, uh, and, and more stuff for Michael here, full disclosure. Uh, we paused for a second as I do always at the end of the episodes. And I just try and make sure that I gave our guests the chance to say everything that they wanted to say, make sure that, um, 
there was nothing that they were holding in, hoping I would ask or anything along those lines. Cause as I say a million times, this isn't scripted. This isn't pre-written. So uh, in that time, uh, Ron brought up that uh, he wanted to bust Michael's balls a little bit more. And he was asking where we were at on timing, if he was going to pass his time. And uh, although we're not going to pass uh, Michael's time, uh, what, what, what were you saying? You know, not, not bad from a guy who was uh, a damn near Olympian and, and to a, an old timer. How, how were you saying this? An old washed up lifter. <laughs> an old washed up lifter almost got you. <laughs> no, but you know, in all seriousness, I'm finding that now like our sweet spot. Um, when it started, I was like, you know, I don't want these to be too long. I'm not, I don't know who's going to listen to a really long interview yeah. from two people. But then I stopped caring because then I realized that these are for the right people. You know, this Absolutely. isn't to, you know, if we can get the downloads, if we can get the clicks, the views, awesome. If it works out that way, cool. If people want to reach out to me and, and they want to say, you know, we're nominating you for this and that award. Awesome. You know, I, I love it. However, that's not the, the, the big goal here. The goal is to actually share someone's story. And I found that I rather, I rather have someone on here for, it seems like the average now is probably getting closer to two hours. It's probably yeah. a nice average, but I'd rather have someone on here for, for two, two and a half. Even we just have pop. You can, and by the time you're listening to this pops episode is out. My, my big brother from sober is dope. His episode is over three hours long and you know, I'd rather just give you guys and, and ladies the opportunity to just share your entire story from beginning to end. Because when you go to a meeting, when you share on other platforms, a lot of times it's uh, you know, you're only given an allotment. When you go to a meeting, you only get five minutes to share. Yeah. And, or when you're, you know, you might be on another podcast and it might be an hour long podcast, but they also have clips in and here and there. And you actually only get like, 30, maybe 45 minutes of time, you know, maybe you joined a webinar and you got 15 minutes to, to tell your story, but I wanted to give people an opportunity to just tell their entire story as much detail. You know, our shortest episode is 30, 35 minutes. Cause that's how much they wanted to share. Our longest episode now is a uh, pop from sober is dope over three hours. So anything in that middle, it is what it is. If I have that one person that comes along and we do a four or five hour interview, then cool. You know, it, it is what it is and we're just going to roll with it. And I, I'm just, I want to be able to let these stories out. And if someone can't listen to it because it's too long, then maybe this isn't the podcast for them. I hope that's not the case, but there's also a pause button and you can pick back up where you left sure. off and continue the story. And that's, that's the Good. cool thing about this. Um, so with that being said, the last question I have for you today, before we do our closing for the people out there that are, that are struggling for the people that might not have found yet, the ability or the courage or the reason to put down the drink or the drug and they're looking, they need to hear something to just get that motivation and, and that little kick in the ass to help them put down the drink or the drug. And also for that person who might be clean and sober right now, but is thinking about picking up today until they hear this interview and are just listening to this in hopes of hearing something that'll keep that drink or that drug out of their hand and not throw away their clean time. For those people that are listening to this and need to hear something, Ron, with your 10 years of, of amazing recovery and everything that you've seen and been through, what can you say for these people that'll help them either not pick up the drink or the drug or help them put it down today? I think, I think honestly, that it is for them the most important thing, which it was for me too. And I think I, I could speak for most addicts is that, you know, you're worthy. You're, you're, you're here for a reason and, and you're loved. And, and I think it is, it, it's, it's hard though, when you're in that shit, when you're in the mix to, to feel that, 
but it is true. Um, that's all I could say because everybody's journey and every little, every little, um, everybody has their own journey and what clicks with them. But I think the key thing is, is that you are important on this planet. You are worthy and, and you need to know that. And I think that's, I don't know if that answered really what you were asking, but I think that's an important aspect that we, we miss out on because, you know, something, things help people in different ways. So I don't, I don't know if I have a, a true answer, what, but knowing your self-worth and knowing that you're loved and cared for is. That was exactly the exact answer that we were looking for. I mean, I could just see it in your eyes, how heartfelt that was, how genuine that was. Um, that's, that's exactly what we needed there. And that's, I think what the listeners might've been looking for today. Uh, especially for those people that might be struggling today. Uh, very, very strong words from a very strong man. Uh, hashtag not tall, not small. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to get you a shirt that, that says that. We're going to have to get that. A, we're going to have to get that a shirt. That's going to be the hashtag. I think that's going to be the title of this, uh, of this podcast uh, episode. Not tall, not small. Uh, All right. That's good. <laughs> uh, let's uh, yeah. With that, with that, we're going to, uh, we just want to thank you so much for being on the show today on behalf of everybody in the staying fair ODAC community on all of our social media outlets and platforms on behalf of uh, everybody on the original staying fair ODAC Facebook group and everybody listening today, Ron, we want to thank you so much for taking the time with us today to share your story. It really was a pleasure to get it out there. I had a lot of fun as I knew I would. Uh, so from everyone from the bottom of our hearts, we just want you to continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and brother, tell us how you're doing it. One day at a time. We love it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Staying Fit Odet. If you yourself identify as someone in recovery, whether it be from alcoholism, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, or any other type of mental health issue, then please join the group on Facebook at Staying Fit Odaat. Three different words. If you do not identify as someone in recovery, but you like everything we have going on and you want to continue staying in the loop with everything, then please follow us on Instagram at stayingfitodaat. You can also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at stayingfitodaat at gmail.com. Until next time, just know you're loved, continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and please keep doing this one day at a time.